everyone, and welcome to another edition of Criminal Discourse Podcast. I'm Trish. And I'm Maddie. And we are so glad to be back with you again this week. We hope you've been enjoying the episodes that we've put out for you so far. We'd like to give a special shout out to our listeners in Jackson, Tennessee. We don't, again, know who you are. Because nobody contacts us. That is one reason. The other reason is we don't know who you are. We just see (laughs) the area that the listeners are listening from. So thank you, Jackson, Tennessee, and the people listening there. We appreciate it. So if you already haven't checked out our website, please do. It is criminaldiscoursepodcast.com. And there is a section on there that you can send us an email, send us a note. And we promise we'll get back in touch with you. We really promise. Nobody seems to want to talk to us and it makes us feel sad. Yes. (laughs) We'll agree with that. I know we have a hard exterior shell and we may not seem like we're emotionally touched by this, but nobody wants to talk to us. Okay, now I think you're digging a little deep. (laughs) But yes, we would love for you to reach out to us. We would appreciate it. You can check out our website. All of our show notes are on the website too. So anything we talk about, it's usually there. If it's my notes, you'll almost see things I say verbatim (laughs) because I type (laughs) everything out. And then of course, all the resources of where we get our information. And of course, you can check out iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. And I know we talked about Pandora. We're, we're not approved yet. We're not approved yet. That's a long approval process, but maybe someday we will be on Pandora. Maybe. So maybe. All right. Well, we're going to get right to it. And the case we're going to talk about today involves Robert Cruz Lozano, known as Bobby Cruz. Now, did you know about this case before I sent you my notes? I did not. I'd never heard of this. Maybe some people have. Maybe some people haven't. There was a new show that Oxygen put out this past spring called Accident, Suicide, or Murder. Have you seen that show, Maddie? No, I don't have cable, Trish. I can't. I don't. That I don't understand that. So <laughs> you don't I have, have Netflix. Cable. Yeah, well, it might be on Netflix eventually, or you can get the app and watch it on your phone. That's true. But it is a good show if you haven't seen it. And this case we're going to talk about today did air in April of 2019. And Dateline also did an episode on this case called Behind the Badge in January of 2010. So our story takes place in Denton, Texas. So this is a city within the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area with a population of about 130,000. Name one of the best places to live in Texas. And it also has a highly rated school system. So it's a very kind of affluent area is my understanding. I'm not from Texas. So if we have any Texas listeners, they can let us know if I'm (laughs) correct in that assumption or not. So Bobby Lozano was a detective with the Denton Police Department. And he was married to Virginia Farish. Now she went by Vicky, who was a fifth grade school teacher. They had started seeing each other this summer after Vicky graduated from high school. Now Bobby was slightly older than Vicky by about two years, so not much. And he had been working at his parents' gas station at the time. Now, according to friends, they saw Vicky just blossom from this quiet, shy, slightly overweight girl into this beautiful young woman after she got with Bobby. And they married on July 5th, 1986. So in 1995, Vicky's father had passed away. So at that time, Vicky, Bobby, and her mother, Anna Farish, decided to pull their resources together and build Vicky and Bobby's dream house where Anna would live in one wing of the house. So at first when I read that, I was like, how big is this house? Well, it's about 5,000 square feet. So (laughs) it's a big house at a cost of about a half million dollars. It was located in the affluent Del Sur Montecito neighborhood. So for my understanding, 
they were building this house so that Anna, the mother, could live with Vicky and Bobby because the father had passed away? Yes. Okay. And I think to, to have this dream home they always wanted, they needed to pull their finances together. So that is why they all kind of moved in together and built this 5,000 square foot home where Anna would live in one wing of the house. I think even at 5,000 square feet, I don't know if I could do the in-laws quarters. No, mine needs to be 5,000 miles that I could do. <laughs> So by all accounts, Bobby and Vicky appeared to have a very good marriage. Bobby would regularly be seen coming to Vicky's school to bring her lunch, and he appeared to be this doting husband. In 2001, they finally had a baby. And this was after almost 15 years together. They had a son by the name of Monty. So all of the information I'm going to share with you next comes from Bobby's written statement that he gave. And on July 5th, 2002, Bobby and Vicky had gone out to dinner to celebrate their 16th wedding anniversary. They had then come home to play with Monty, who was now 11 months old at this point, and then the family settled down soon after to go to bed. Around midnight, Bobby got up and said he had to go into work for a while. So he left and was gone for about two hours. Now, Bobby being a detective, he kept irregular hours. So that wasn't something that was out of the norm. The next day on July 5th, Bobby and Vicky and Monty went to the local Target. I don't know if anywhere else in the country says Target, but is that a us thing? I don't think so. Let us know. Other people in the country, we will call Target Target. Or is it is that Pencil Tucky talk? That could be <laughs> that could be Pencil Tucky talk. And they arrived home around 4:30 p.m. and they had put Monty to bed around 7. So Bobby had gone into the next room to get on the computer where he played some computer games like puzzle games for about an hour while Vicky went to bed watching TV, claiming she hadn't really been feeling well. About an hour later, Bobby came into the room and he started to set up to clean his service weapon, which is a Glock 9mm handgun. And he was going to do this on the bed because he said that him and Vicky planned to go to the police department firing range the next day. So Bobby went to the kitchen and he got a section from the day's newspaper, went back to the bedroom and put a single sheet of newspaper on the bed opposite from where Vicky was lying down. Bobby placed the gun cleaning kit onto the newspaper, then removed his gun from his duty shoulder holster. He removed the fully loaded magazine from the gun and placed it also on top of the paper. He then removed the live round and left the gun on the paper with its slide lock open. Now Bobby asked Vicky if she wouldn't mind if he left for a bit because he wanted to go tanning. He apparently kept regular tanning appointments, and this will come into play later. And Vicky offered to clean Bobby's gun for him while he was gone so that they could have more time together when he returned. But Bobby told her not to worry about it. It'd only take a few minutes to do. So he started working on the gun, but then changed his mind, saying he didn't want any cleaning residue on his hands when he went tanning. So Vicky again offered to clean his gun. He said, no, no, you just relax. And he left shortly before 8.30 p.m. He arrived at the tanning studio and tanned for about 20 minutes. And he stopped at the front desk on the way out and talked to the attendant there to ask him how his 4th of July was. Then he got in his car and he returned home, arriving around 9 p.m. When he entered the bedroom, Bobby noticed that Vicky was lying awkwardly on their bed. She was kind of upright, almost like up against the headboard, but bent over face down and slightly to the left over her left hip. So he asked her if she was okay. He didn't get a response. He then noticed the cleaning kit and the newspaper were not where he left it when he walked around the bed. He then went over to Vicky and noticed that her tongue was hanging out of her mouth and she was extremely pale and her body appeared listless when he put his arms around her to try to get her to sit up fully. And that's when he noticed a large amount of blood pulled underneath her body and a hole in the middle of her nightgown. So Bobby ran to the phone and he dialed 911 asking for 
for emergency services. This call came in shortly after 9 p.m. He then ran to his son's bedroom, which was located right across the hall from the master bedroom. Monty had, thankfully, Monty had been asleep. When he picked him up, though, he woke him up as he raced back across the hall. He picked up the phone to continue talking to the 911 dispatcher who had asked him about performing CPR. Bobby then put down the phone and Monty onto the floor and ran over to Vicky, putting his leg over her for better leverage. He wasn't fully straddling her, but just trying to keep her on the bed. And he began to massage her chest and then blow air into her mouth. So massaging the, the sternum is something paramedics will do. It's supposed to kind of give you a response by doing that. I've heard that before anyways, in the terms of rubbing the sternum. Well, and you would think him being a detective... He would be trained. One would think. One would think. One would think. That's going to come into play too. So he noticed the gun was on the bed and he tossed it to the side and began CPR with her lying on the bed. After a short time, Bobby got back on the phone and said that Vicky was either not breathing or she was unconscious. Either or. Either or. That's what he said. So he went to the front door. He turned on the outside lights. And when first responders arrived, he greeted them at the front door holding his son. Now, in his written statement, Bobby believed Vicky's death was an accident because he was asked if she was suicidal and his response was she had no reason to be. So one of the first responders on the scene was Captain Luke Scholl, a paramedic firefighter who arrived around 9.09 p.m. Now he noticed Bobby didn't seem to be out of breath or perspiring for someone who had been performing CPR for five minutes as he was told on route by the 911 dispatcher. So if you remember back to our Harold Henthorne case, kind of the same thing happened. Like when the dispatcher had to testify against Harold Henthorne, she didn't believe he was doing CPR because over the phone and she could hear him, he wasn't breathless. He wasn't out of breath. He didn't sound exerted. And so they didn't believe he even began CPR. And this is kind of that same thing. Like, okay, you just perform CPR, but yet you're kind of all put together and not out of breath. So do we know, did the dispatcher that he was on the phone with walk him through the CPR? No. Or did he just... I don't think she walked him through the CPR because he was trained in CPR. Okay. He was a police officer. Now, he also observed Bobby to be very calm and showing no signs of blood on his hands or his clothing. So if somebody's performing CPR, you and should have... blood everywhere. And there's a hole in the middle of her chest where you have to perform CPR. There should have been blood on you. So he noticed when he went to the bed he noticed just that, that this hole was right in the middle of where you would be performing CPR. Now, he found Vicky lying on her back, blood in the middle of her chest with her right leg hanging off the bed slightly. Vicky was not conscious, nor was she breathing. She was cold to the touch and had a waxy appearance, which indicated she had been dead for quite some time. He also noticed that Vicky had lividity in her right foot around her ankle area. So that was the leg that was slightly off the bed. Now, lividity is the pooling of blood that starts 30 to 45 minutes after death. Some people say it can start as soon as 20, but I think the average is 30 to 45 minutes after death, giving the body a molting or blanched look, and it begins in the lowest part of the body, which indicates the body has begun to break down. So he felt that the body had been lying there a lot longer than an hour and didn't seem to fit the half-hour time frame Bobby gave. Remember, he said he left shortly before 8.30, he came home at 9 o'clock, and Vicky's dead. So it hasn't even been a full hour yet. Brandon Galbraith was another paramedic firefighter who also reported to the scene. Now, based upon Vicky's lividity, skin temperature, appearance, he determined that she had been dead a lot longer than an hour. He also felt that CPR had not been performed. Richard Godoy, a police social worker with the Denton Police Department, was a friend and a co-worker of Bobby's. Apparently, they had desks that were right across from each other. And he knew Vicky. And he noticed that Bobby looked 
really polished that evening. Like Bobby's nickname for the department was Mr. GQ, but he looked like he had just gotten out of the shower. Like not somebody who had been performing CPR, found his wife dead, nothing like that. Bobby made statements to him about, you know how Vicky liked to tinker with things and she always was doing things for me? Maybe she wanted to clean my gun while I was gone. Bobby also told him that he had tried to revive Vicky with CPR, but again, that seemed very inconsistent with his appearance. Chief Deputy Sheriff Lee Howell, who was a lieutenant and supervisor of Bobby's, came to the scene. Now, he right away contacted the Texas Rangers to conduct the investigation due to Bobby's position in the Denton Police Department, because you don't want to be investigating your own. Of so course. you want somebody outside who's impartial. Chief Howell observed the scene, and he noticed that a single sheet of newspaper, a glove pistol, a brown box that contained a gun cleaning supplies, a dish towel, and a pair of white athletic socks were all on the bed. And he just felt that this scene looked staged. He felt that it was unusual for someone to clean their gun on the bed in the first place and not a hard surface. So I work with a police officer and I asked him just like, hey, do you, how do you clean your gun? Where do you clean your gun? He goes, oh, usually at the table. And I said, you, would you do it on your bed? He goes, nah, you don't really want to do it on a, a soft surface and it can get pretty messy. And I said, well, how long does it take you to do a, a decent job? And he goes, oh, 15, 20 minutes or so. And I said, if you're doing a really good job, he's like, oh, it can take you 40 minutes, maybe an hour. I said, so not a few minutes to clean your gun? He's like, no. So he kind of backs up what Chief Howe is saying, that it just didn't seem right, one, to be doing it on the bed. And then his written statement, it said, well, it was only going to take a few minutes. Yeah. And for my, so my husband has a gun. And he didn't does? Have I didn't know he had a gun. Yes. I do now. My husband has a gun. And when he cleans it, even if he's in mode, like relaxed on the weekend, just want to kind of clean my gun for fun. He even does it on the coffee table. He doesn't do it on a soft surface because same thing, it gets everywhere. You can get the cleaning products everywhere. I would never do that on a bed, even with a piece of newspaper down. Right. And it was only a single sheet of newspaper. We're not like talking the Sunday, you know, edition. So he also noticed that Vicky's hands, they didn't look like she had cleaned a gun or even sprayed it down with oil. And they didn't look to have any gun residue on them either. And so the only way for that not to happen is if she had been wearing gloves. So if, with the oil residue or even the gun residue, but no gloves were found in the bedroom and no gloves were on her. Chief Howe also noted inconsistencies with Bobby's written statement, which he gave two days after the murder. And it didn't seem to match up what they were seeing at the crime scene. So Chief Howe would later testify that he admitted that he would have done things differently that night, such as impounding Bobby's car, sealing off the house, and also testing Bobby's hands for gunshot residue and or taking photographs of his hands. They didn't do any of that because this was one of their own. And Vicki, they all knew Vicki. That was a member of their police department family. From the time the first responders arrived, they had their suspicions that something wasn't right. Besides Bobby not having any blood on him or his clothing, they found Bobby's gun to be dripping in oil. So for whatever reason, and again, I don't own a gun, your husband does, you put a little oil, I would imagine, on it, but this was dripping in oil. And none of that was on Vicky. There was no oil on her hand. So it also looked as if Vicky had been lying on her left side when she had been shot and not been over kind of to the left as Bobby claimed she was when he arrived home. If that was the case, she should have had signs of lividity in her face because she was bent over. And there were only signs in her back and the right foot that was hanging off the bed, the lowest parts of the body. The other issue was where was the shell casing? investigators could not find the shell casing laying on top of the bed. After they removed Vicky's body, investigators began taking items off layer at a time from the bed. And that's where they found the shell casing 
underneath the gun cleaning kit, meaning that someone had placed the cleaning kit on top of the casing after the shooting. They also noted that there was no forced entry into the home. So you want to rule out like this was a robbery. Somebody came in. Correct. And they could see no forced entry anywhere. So Texas Ranger Tracy Murphy arrived on the scene around 11 p.m. And he felt that it was absurd for somebody to be cleaning their gun on the bed, especially with only one sheet of newspaper. And again, he felt it would take 15 to 20 minutes to do a decent job, 30 minutes or more to get it really clean. That this isn't something you do in a couple of minutes. Ranger McMurphy would testify that Vicky's left side exit wound was short, meaning she was lying against something when the bullet exited her skin and that the gunpowder residue was only found on the right side of her face, not the left side. So consistent with her lying on her left side because only the right side was exposed to the gunshot residue. So if the scene raised questions about what Bobby was saying and what the evidence showed, you can add a red flag with his last word. Bobby said to Vicky as she was being taken out of the house by the coroner's office. He asked to see her one more time, which I don't think is uncommon. So once the body bag was unzipped, Bobby looked down at her and said, well, take care, and then turns and walks back into the house. That is the creepiest thing I've ever, I've heard some creepy things. We've talked about some creepy things. That's just crazy. And cold. Yeah. So he did this in front of his coworker. So they were all kind of like, what? You know, like, this is your wife. So those on scene did not feel Bobby was acting like a grieving husband. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate, though, too. And it could have been shock. Not everyone grieves the same. We've seen that in in other cases. Or it could have been because he was compartmentalizing. Like he was a detective. This was a crime scene. I'm going into just business mode not emotional mode. So a lot of times when we hear the interpretation of grief too, it's not coming necessarily from people that know the person. So with these like being his co-workers, people that are with him every day, you would think that they would be able to gauge his reaction a little bit better than a stranger. Correct. I agree with that. I mean, I yeah, don't know. I agree with that. I've never had to gauge yes. someone's grief reaction. So, And hopefully we never do. Vicky's mother was not at home at the time of the shooting and felt that it was possible that one of the many little dogs that Vicky owned had perhaps jumped up on the bed and had caused the gun to discharge. Anna Farish was adamant that Vicky's shooting was an accident and she stood by Bobby's versions of events. She didn't believe that this was murder and I don't think she believed it was necessarily suicide either. She felt it was more under the accident realm. And again, stuck by Bobby, and you'll see how far she does that. So Bobby was asked if Vicky had been depressed. Now, originally in his statement, he said no. You know, she had no reason to be suicidal. But now he claimed that, you know, she had never really been over the death of her father, which had happened years prior. And he also claimed she suffered from a condition which involved long days of fatigue, listlessness, and an arthritic condition. He also claimed that Vicky was a free bleeder, basically that she had been concerned about surviving childbirth for that very reason. He told investigators, that Vicky had gotten a four to six inch tear in her vaginal canal and had to be bedridden for two months after Monty's birth since she had been too weak for surgery at the time. Now, friends told investigators their concerns with what Vicky and Bobby's relationship was really about. So at first when they met them, you know, Bobby came off as very endearing and very caring, you know, showing up at her work with lunch for her. But the more they thought about it and the more they got to know Vicky, they felt that he was very controlling, that he showed up with lunch for her because he wanted to know what she was eating. And he planned her lunch. He would even weigh her at the gym. Like, where are you at? Wait, what? Yeah, that wouldn't fly here. So Bobby... (laughs) 
<laughs> Bobby would even make Vicky carry a picture of herself from her teenage years when she was overweight and put off wanting to have a baby with her because he was afraid she'd get fat again. So again, he was very focused on appearance. That came through like with anything I read, Bobby was kind of obsessed with that. He was always well-groomed, tanned, even waxed his eyebrows. So he's very metrosexual and he dressed very high end. So he kind of gave off that affluent appearance and then kept himself as such. How did he afford? I mean, you would think on a detective's salary. Correct. And she was a school teacher, but apparently her father left her quite a bit of money. So that'll come into play a little later, too. So an autopsy was done on Vicky. And during this autopsy, they found popcorn residue in Vicky's mouth and stomach, also on the inside of her shirt and in the bedding which indicated she had been eating while she was in bed, probably watching TV, but there was no bowl found at the scene. So did she eat this and then walk to the kitchen to put the bowl and then come back to bed? Or did something happen while she was in bed and then somebody removed the bowl? Also based upon the chest wound, pathologist Dr. Gary Sisler felt that the gun had been held three to six inches from her chest and traveled through Vicky's left lung and diaphragm and spleen before it exited her left side. The gun had no direct contact with her skin. So in suicides, apparently, if you're going to use a gun 97 to 99% of the time, you're going to have direct contact with the skin in a suicide. But that wasn't the case here. It's also inconsistent to clean a gun prior to committing suicide. So there was another reason they were trying to rule out, okay, what, what are we dealing with here? And again, also, there was no oil or grease on Vicky's hands. Now, on Monday, July 8th, Detective Cynthia Waters of the Denton Police Department went to her supervisors and she informed them that her and Bobby had been in a relationship for quite some time. So Cynthia Waters began working at the Denton Police Department in 1994 and by 2001 she had been promoted to detective. And in February of 2001 she and Bobby began dating although both of them were both married at the time. Waters had two children from the relationship she was in and Bobby of course was expecting his first child. Bobby told Cynthia that his relationship with Vicky was more of a friendship and not really sexual, and they really didn't get along with one another. He also told her that they had been planning to split up basically a year after Monty's birth because she was just expecting, so they were planning to split up in August of 2002. Is that a normal thing to plan a breakup like that? Not in my experience, but <laughs> I don't know. It just seems very odd to be like, well, let's just keep at it for a year after our child's born. Yeah, and it then does. call it quits. Maybe he was planning. I don't know if Vicky knew any of this. Right. Let's keep this in mind. This is just what he's telling Cynthia. So in December of 2001, Bobby gave Cynthia a promise ring. And in February of 2002, he gave her a card that stated, Happy anniversary to my wife, though she wasn't his wife. So. She was someone else's wife. <laughs> she was. I think she might have been divorced by then because she okay. did She did have a divorce. So also in February of 2002, Bobby took out a $3,500,000 life insurance policy on Vicky, which I also felt strange because if you're breaking up, what, five, six months later, you're taking out a major life insurance policy on someone? That seemed a little strange. But this was also in addition to the $750,000 policy he had taken out on Vicky in 1999. So this is over a million dollars of life insurance. Now, Cynthia reported that she was not aware at the time of either of these policies. So in February of 2002, Bobby and Cynthia began looking at houses in the $350,000 to $500,000 range where they could all live as a family. Now, the cost of those homes were not what they could afford on two police salaries. But Bobby told Cynthia that he had approximately $700,000 in Mexico that wouldn't be involved in his divorce proceedings. Did he say where he got seven hundred? thousand dollars and why it was in Mexico? No. 
Or at least nothing I read I feel said like that. Cynthia did not do very good detective work here. <laughs> like, I think she believed him. I, I think she had no reason not to believe him. So Cynthia knew that Vicky's family had a lot of money. Her father had left her a trust, which the bulk of it would be received when she turned 36. Do you want to guess how old Vicky was when she got shot? Was it 36? That is correct. Cynthia had also been told by co-workers that Bobby would never leave Vicky because of the money. So people knew they were in this relationship that they worked with. And they kept telling her, girl, he's not ever going to leave. He's not going to leave the money because he likes the money. He likes the affluent lifestyle. He likes the tanning and the, you know, mani-pedis and the (laughs) eyebrow waxing. And being Mr. GQ. Isn't that what they called him? Right. Mr. GQ. So around March, April of 2002, Bobby told Cynthia that he and Vicky had agreed to a separation and he would be moving out in June and that Vicky would file for divorce in April and it would be finalized by July. Yeah, it was. (laughs) Bobby told her that he had rented an apartment to move into after the divorce. At one point, he told Cynthia that divorce papers had been filed, but Vicky's mother had paid to have the record sealed. So if Cynthia was going to go say, oh, were these really filed? She wouldn't be able to find them. Now, Cynthia later would come to find out that those papers had never been filed. I'm shocked. I know. So in mid-June, Cynthia found out that Bobby had lied to her again about a trip that he had taken where he said he was going to visit some relatives. But in actuality, he had gone on vacation with Vicky and Monty and his mother-in-law. So this is, again, less than a month from Vicky being shot. Cynthia had intended to end their relationship after that. She's like, okay, I'm done. But Bobby asked for another chance. He told her that if he was not moved out by June 30th, he would understand if she wanted to end their relationship. So on June 30th, Bobby told Cynthia that he couldn't move out because he and Vicky had gotten into a fight and he'd slapped her and he didn't know if she would press charges or not. So at that point, he returned all of the cards I guess Cynthia had given him over the course of their relationship. Well, yeah, he said, happy anniversary to my wife. Oh, wait, you're not my wife. (laughs) Correct. So he told Cynthia that Vicky was unstable. And he thought she was trying to poison him. He even said that Vicky was purposely giving Monty milk, even though Monty was allegedly allergic to it. I don't know if any of that was true. I'm going to go on the side of no, but (laughs) this is what he told her. At that point, Cynthia told Bobby that their relationship had to end, but they would remain in contact. And in the early morning hours of July 6th, Bobby had gone over to Cynthia's house that night. And that was the same night, remember, that he said he had to go into work. He didn't have to go into work. He went over to Cynthia's. So a few days after Vicky's death, Bobby and Cynthia met up and he told her that he had come home after tanning, found Vicky on the bed shot, and he claimed that he moved Vicky's body to the floor to begin CPR, which was protocol. So that's also one of the things the first responders on scene saw, like, you did CPR? on the bed. That's not something you do. When you do CPR, you have to do it on a hard, flat surface. So three weeks after Vicky's death, Bobby resigned from his position with the Denton Police Department, as did Cynthia Waters. They both both resigned their positions. Now, during the ongoing investigation, investigators discovered that Bobby had had a number of relationships during his time he and Vicky had been dating, engaged, and through their marriage. So he wasn't even faithful to Cynthia. Oh, he he had other women at the same time? Oh, yeah. He, yeah. Are we going to list them? No, I think there are a lot. (laughs) One woman had a sexual relationship with Bobby with the promise of getting a check cashing charge dismissed. Now, once she had sex with him, he failed to contact her for about two weeks. And when he did, he just met up with her to tell her they couldn't be together because he was a cop and she was a criminal. And his boss knew 
and he didn't want to lose his job over this. Now, this information I got from a book called Lady Killer by Donna Fielder. So we'll talk about her coming up more, but she had written this book and that was one of the incidents she talked about. That, But again, he hit on apparently anything that walked. So six months after Vicky's death, a grand jury indicted Bobby Lozano for the murder of Vicky Lozano. He was released on $125,000 bail and he returned to the home he shared with Anna Farish. Remember, she stuck by him. A year and a half later, on July 14, 2004, the district attorney at the time, Bruce Isaac, had all the charges against Bobby Lozano dropped. He claimed that the original coroner pathologist, Dr. Sisler, had changed the cause of death from undetermined to suicide. He also claimed that he contacted another coroner from Chicago, from Cook County, I believe, Chicago, and that coroner had looked over the file to give their opinion of how Vicki died, and he also agreed with Dr. Sisler that this would have been suicide. So all the charges were dropped. And that might be the end of the story, if not for a reporter by the name of Donna Fielder. Donna Fielder was a reporter with the Denton Record Chronicle who had gotten a hold of the evidence thanks to the Texas Open Records Act. So she wrote an article in 2008, in September of 2008, entitled Sex, Lies, and Bloodshed. So in 2008, there was a new district attorney elected, and his name was Paul Johnson. And due to the questions raised in Donna's article, they began a reinvestigation. So she had, I think for quite a long time, tried to get the evidence from this case, and it was block, block, block. But then it finally came to her in 2008. And from that, she's reading through this going, whoa, how this is almost a travesty of justice. Like Vicki didn't get justice. It's so not she, even almost. It's just a travesty. The fact that they would drop charges and take out all evidence and only focus on a coroner's report? Correct. Well, that's, I've said this a few times before, that's going to come into play. <laughs> so hold on to that. So Dr. Sisler was contacted by the new district attorney, and he claims he never changed Vicky's original cause of death from undetermined to suicide. He's still undetermined. And they found out that the coroner from Cooks County in Chicago had also agreed with Dr. Sisler's findings as undetermined. So it was never brought up that her cause of death was changed to suicide. So the previous DA has some questions to answer. And the latest I've seen, I think there is something moving forward as to why he said that. Why did you drop these charges claiming this happened when it didn't? So in July 2009, Bobby was charged once again with murder and two married prosecutors were assigned to the case, Carrie and Susan Pyle. And this was clearly a circumstantial case. There's no DNA evidence, no physical evidence, an undetermined cause of death, and the victim's mother still backs the defendant, Bobby Lozano, her son-in-law. So Susan Pyle looked at the case, and in most murder cases, she said, you have two questions you ask. Why did they do it? In this case, money. And why did they do it now? And if you remember... Vicky came into her trust fund when she turned 36. So Susan on the Dateline segment behind the badge stated that she felt Bobby was a selfish man and that all murderers are committed by selfish people. That was kind of a statement she made. And I thought, well, that, that seems kind of fitting in this case. So at trial, the district attorney's theory was that with the pressure Cynthia Waters was placing on Bobby to get a divorce and the $1 million in life insurance, Bobby decided to kill Vicky instead of losing out on her inheritance in the divorce because he knew she was getting it. Bobby and Cynthia were no longer together at this point, and he had ended up marrying another woman that he had started a real estate business with living in the home that him and Vicky and Anna had lived in previously. So him, his new wife, his son, and Anna Farish still lived in the home Vicky was murdered in. 
allegedly at this point. The prosecutors put up witnesses that showed Bobby was a serial adulterer, like I said, including another woman who had gone to the police asking for help after being sexually assaulted. So there's the woman who wanted the charge cleared. There's this woman who had gone to the police asking for help because she had been sexually assaulted. There's his co-worker. And then there's a slew of other women, too. So Cynthia Waters testified about their affair and produced correspondence that they shared, such as the card that he had given her that said, my wife, soon to be but not soon enough. This was also written in February 2002. So all of the investigators testified as to their observations of Bobby's demeanor that evening and the lack of blood on his clothing and hands. A computer expert testified that the family computer had not been used between the hours of 6 and 9 p.m. the night of the shooting. So remember how he claimed he had gone into the computer room and played a game from 7 to 8? The computer expert said no. There was nothing on that computer. So they went back an hour before and they went to an hour later and that computer had not even been used. So Monica Popov, a doctor, was Vicky's obstetrician slash gynecologist. She testified that Vicky was concerned about having a bleeding disorder and that she had a test run to show that it was negative. She didn't have any type of bleeding disorder. She was not a free bleeder. Vicky had experienced a two degree tear during Monty's birth, which is common for first time births. Yeah, it is. So (laughs) (laughs) mine was only three pounds and I second that. (laughs) I had one too. So that's true. Maybe we should take out the part about our Torah vagina. (laughs) I'm sure women listening that at first time births can say, "Mm, no, that's common. So, but she never ordered Vicky to be on bed rest. There was no indication that Vicky could not take care of herself or Monty. So she testified that Bobby's statements were not true, including that Vicky would not survive childbirth. I guess he made statements like that. She was fearful she'd never make it through childbirth. So none of that was true. The crime lab director testified to the fact that the type of gun Bobby owned would not have fired upon being bumped, hit, or dropped, or banged. It would only fire if the trigger was pulled near the rear of the weapon. So the fact that, you know, the dog's jumping up on the bed and it accidentally being discharged, that couldn't have happened. Well, and I would assume because in the whole beginning of the story, he do, the gun was being cleaned because they were going to the shooting range together. So you would think that she has some experience with a gun as well. Not to say that you can't have accidents when you are experienced, but it's not as if she would be handling it in an odd way that would cause it to go off. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And they also said, I don't think I mentioned this before, that it's really weird that it doesn't seem right that you clean your gun prior to going to the range. It would be something you would most likely do after you went to the firing range. So the prosecutors put on Karen Alexander, a former girlfriend of Bobby's, yet another one, that he dated from mid-1998 to March 2001. Karen knew that Bobby was married, but he told her he didn't love his wife. And at a certain time, he would leave her. So Bobby told her that Vicky was inheriting money from a trust fund from her late father, and he needed to stay with her until then. He told her about the million dollar life insurance policy he had on Vicky or was planning to take out on Vicky. And he would cry to her about his wife's condition, claiming that she had leukemia and he wanted to end his wife's pain. Yet another lot because she didn't have leukemia. And Bobby had also given her a promise ring. I just see him buying these in bulk. <laughs> so, you know, Do you think it's from the Oriental Trading Magazine? I think it is because he seemed to hand them out an awful lot. So the shell casing evidence was brought in at trial, as was the popcorn. And the timeline was also questioned. So the tanning salon was about a 10 minute drive from their house. And if Bobby left, like he said, close to 830, but prior to his 826 tanning time. So I'm going to say, okay, maybe he left around like 820, you know, 
which isn't really right before 830, but okay. And he returned home at 9 after his 20-minute tanning session, and he called 911 at 9.05. The lividity doesn't seem to match up, as the state's theory was that lividity indicates she was dead before Bobby left for the tanning salon. Captain Jeff Warro, a captain with the Denton Police Department, who has investigated over 200 to 300 cases per year for 14 years. So this is a man with a lot of experience. He testified that if Lozano's statement is to be believed, that Vicky would have had to then pick up the weapon, load it, put a round in the chamber, oil the weapon excessively, then laid down on her left side while eating popcorn, then pulled the trigger, shot herself, and then pulled the bedding back, pulled the newspaper over the bedding, put the gun kit over the casing before dying in an upright position with blood pulling only in the lower part of her chest room and not the upper part. So that was his theory. For you to believe Bobby, this is everything would have happened. I've never been shot in the chest, but I would assume you're not going to do all that. I would assume. I, again, have never been shot in the chest either, but... (laughs) Pray that never happens. So the defense put Anna Farish on the stand, and she testified that there were times that she had gone into Vicky and Bobby's bedroom and had seen Bobby's service weapon lying on the bed on top of a newspaper with the gun cleaning kit nearby. She also claimed that Bobby saved Vicky's life as Vicky had suffered from depression due to her weight, and there was a family history of suicide. So she felt that Vicky's life took a turn for the better after Bobby came into her life and they started dating and, of course, gotten engaged and married because she felt Vicky had been a pretty lonely, miserable girl until Bobby came along. That was a direct quote from her. She seems like a wonderful mother. And she may have been. Keep in mind, I'm not going to disparage mom because I'm only going off of things I've read there. I think her daughter's death did affect her. She was very sad by it. But for whatever reason, she would not believe that Bobby had anything to do with it. So the defense at one point brought in a king-size bed into the courtroom to show the jury how Vicky could have sustained her fatal wound. However, this worked in the prosecution's favor because they were able to show from the evidence that was impossible for Vicky to be on the bed, partially under the covers, on her side, and have the gun pointed at the angle it would need to be at to match her bullet wound. So it really kind of backfired and worked in the prosecution's favor. So a jury of 10 women and two men took about five hours to deliberate and they came back with a verdict of guilty. The jury deliberated then for an hour and a half more for sentencing and it would end up sentencing Bobby Lozano to 45 years in prison. So he'll need to serve about 22 and a half years before he's eligible for parole and I believe that will be around the year 2031. So Monty who was eight at the time of his father's sentencing still lives with Anna Farish. Now Anna Farish has died since then. She I believe passed away in 2018 but he lives with Bobby's new wife and her three children I think from a previous relationship in the house where his mother died who is new wife i i just want to talk to new wife he's not going to cheat on her he's in prison well he might do (laughs) (laughs) but to live okay so to know that your husband was convicted of murdering his first wife and now you're living in the house where that happened while he's in prison is she just i just would love to talk to her to have a little chat as far as i know she's never given an interview and i think they're still together. I didn't read any like, you know, how some spouses go to jail and their other spouse files for divorce. I don't think that's happened in this case. Like I said, Anna Farish did pass away at the age of 82 on July 2nd, 2019, actually. So she just passed away. And apparently she was a music teacher. And I think Vicky was a music teacher too, like gave piano lessons in their home. And Anna taught music really up to the week to her death. Like, so I I think she was fairly active. I'm not sure how she died, like if it was a heart condition or something, but she has passed away. So Bobby Lozano has 
has appealed his conviction, and the Texas Court of Appeals in Waco, Texas, in January 2012, upheld his conviction. So I'm sure he has more appeals he can go through, but at this time, he is still in prison. So that is it. That is the murder of Vicki Lozano by her husband, police detective Bobby Lozano. What'd you think? I think he's not a very good detective. You would think that a detective would be able to... Stage a scene better? A little bit, yeah. To, to not even think about the shell casing and where it's placed and all of those things that are automatic putting, red flags. Not putting blood on you like you yeah. perform CPR? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if it was like a spur of the moment thing and he just reacted and did it and didn't really plan it to happen that day. But clearly he had thoughts of planning it because he was laying those seeds with Cynthia Waters about, you know, leaving his wife and divorcing and well, all and of that stuff. Well, even just the life insurance policies and all that. I think that a great crime prevention method would just be to monitor all life insurance policies and throw a little investigation out once you hit a certain dollar amount. Maybe that should be. Right. Where you tell the spouse, you make contact with the yes. person on the who's on the policy to say, hey, don't know if you're aware of this or not, but you have unteen dollars of life insurance policy out on you that would yes i concur is that your criminal discourse life tip yeah we should start that fund to contact people who may not know that they have huge life insurance policies taken out on them well how would we know that though that has to come from life insurance well, right, policy. but we get the funding for oh. actual investigators you to mean do like it. get a lobbyist to go to our legislators to change the law where insurance companies have to notify individuals that they have this much money out on them yeah, there you go. Let's I don't do think it. we need a GoFundMe page for that. All right. So any other criminal discourse life tips? Don't date married people, guys. Yeah. Just as a general rule. I mean, no shame. It never runs well. Like somebody always gets hurt. Yeah, in exactly. The Whether you end up dead or not, but somebody always gets hurt. I agree. That would be one. Any other tips? No, that's pretty much... That's a good one from this one. I like the life insurance one too. That's smart. But other than that, no. So that's it for this week, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate it. If you like what you're hearing, again, go to our website, criminaldiscoursepodcast.com. Again, you can see our show notes and you can send us, you know, a message, what you think of this week's episode or your thoughts on the case and criminal life discourse tips you would have. If you have any tips that you'd like us to share with our other listeners, Please give us those too. Maybe we need those tips. I'm sure there's plenty of things that we don't know. Correct. Like I'm going to ask my husband, how much life insurance do we have on each other as soon as we're done here? So until next time, guys, again, you can listen to us on Google, Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher, and maybe someday Pandora if they ever get around to approving us. And until next time, take care, be safe. But as I always say, we need to be a little kinder to each other. So until next time, guys, bye. Bye. bye.